This is the Comstock Report podcast. We are strong advocates for the American family farm and your top source for the agriculture markets. And now, here's your host, Mackenzie Johnston. Welcome to the Comstock Report podcast. Today, we are going to be talking all things crop insurance with Rod Peterson. He is the managing partner of AgriVantage LLC, which is the insurance branch of Comstock Investments. He has been providing Western Corn Belt producers with insurance advice and policy production for over 20 years out of our home office in Royal Iowa. Has crop insurance always been your thing? Tell me a bit about your background and how you got to where you are today started farming out of college and then uh, was into uh, a livestock production, a farrow to finish hog operation and raising corn and soybeans. And uh, in 1997, I realized I didn't think the hog market was going to be very good and uh, basically sold off the hog enterprise. And 1998, hogs dropped to $4 a hundred for a low. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I avoided a major loss. So yeah, you did. In the year 2000, I started working for Comstock Investments as a licensed broker. And then uh, 2002, because, and, and we're helping, you know, clients market and everything, well, realized that crop insurance is a big part of marketing because you have guaranteed bushels you can forward price. And the crop insurance agent across the street at the bank uh, for numerous years would call me up and want my opinion on crop insurance and what to do. And I realized, you know, maybe I should be selling crop insurance. (laughs) Yeah, obviously. Maybe there's something to this. So basically, you know, got my license and created an agency uh, from scratch. We we, uh, have not bought out any agency or anything every client we have is uh have gotten on our own and uh we have clients presently have clients in seven states can you tell me a basic definition of what federal crop insurance is and how it works exactly i would praise it that federal crop insurance is overseen by the risk management agency which is a division of the usda and uh, the premiums are subsidized by the federal government and uh, the policies are delivered through uh, private insurance agencies. How are crop insurance rates set? So you're talking the premiums, right? Yep, that's correct. Okay, so the premiums are determined by a specific state, county, and crop. And then previous losses are actuarials. I mean, they use actuarials just like, you know, auto insurance does with how many accidents and uh Omaha versus Royal Iowa, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so someone living in Omaha has a different rate on the same vehicle as in Royal Iowa. So anyway, we have, like I said, it goes by state, county, and crop. Then they use actuarials in that specific county. The producer's actual production history is included. We have what's called a spring price that is determined for like corn and soybeans during the month of February, wherever the futures close. So when December December corn and November soybeans, those closes during the month of February determine the spring price. And then there's a volatility factor that comes into play. And they're all part of determining that premium cost. 
Wow, that so, sounds awfully complicated. It is exceedingly complicated and takes time. You know, then we have our deadlines, of course. So we don't know the price until the end of February. Once the month of February is over, we determine the spring price. But then that has to be approved and run calculations and everything by all the underwriters. So, you know, it might be two or three days into March before we have what you call the official spring price. And then we have till the 15th of March to uh, get that delivered to our clients. But um, yes, it, it's a daunting task to uh, manage this federal crop insurance program. All the factors taken in and trying to be fair. And uh, there's over 100 crops that are involved in crop insurance now throughout our country. When you really get into it, it, it it's a daunting task. What are some of the causes of loss crop insurance covers? It's basically, uh, you would phrase it as all natural causes. And, and so we're talking about excess moisture, drought, wind, hail, cold or frost. Then also like unavoidable damage from uh, insects or disease. You could uh, have an outbreak of aphids and you sprayed them in your soybeans, but they still came back or we didn't spray quick enough or whatever. And needs to be noted that fire is excluded except for lightning and volcanoes because fire can be man-made. So a person's, you know, the bearing in your corn head goes bad and uh, gets hot, starts a fire in your cornfield. Well, that, that's not a natural cause. Also at great risk, somebody driving down the highway and tosses out a cigarette on a hot, dry, windy day. A lot of, of the underwriters do offer what you call a standalone fire policy, which is quite cheap, like for 25 cents a hundred. You, you can put $1,000 worth of fire. Just That's all you're protecting is against fire. Okay. And $2.50, you could cover your crop for $1,000. So when a producer does have a crop loss, how is it paid out and how quickly is it paid out? Is it paid out right after the crop loss or the end of the season? How does that work? It, it depends. With the federal crop, it's not paid out until the end of the season because that's usually based on production. So we don't know our production until we harvest, right? Right. Basically, in our area, the two most popular policies are YP and RP, but YP, if you're Yield drops below your guaranteed yield you would collect. And then with RP, that also includes a price. If in the fall, the price is way lower than the spring price, then you'd also, you could collect on, on a revenue claim, even though you had a great crop yield-wise. Crop hail insurance, that is just what it sounds like. It just covers a, a yeah. loss from hail. So crop and yeah, hail insurance is not subsidized through the federal government. So crop insurance is called a private product. And then yes, the only time you would ever collect on a hail insurance policy is if you got hail. Now the federal crop also covers hail, but it has to take your yield below your guarantee in order to collect. So the highest you can uh can take up to 85% of your 10-year average called actual production history. So, so let's say we're talking uh, just YP, that this, all we're doing is guaranteeing yield. That if you take 85%, there's still 15% of your 
production that isn't covered, right? Well, if it hails, you have to drop at least 15% yield in order to collect. Well, hail will pay you. You can take a no deductible hail on policy and you'll start collecting at 1% damage. So you can ensure the upper end of your crop with a hail. And, you know, it depends on the area. Hail rates are exactly like determining rates for the federal crop. It's based by, you know, state, county, and crop and based on actuarials. So in our area, our hail insurance cost per hundred is two to three times higher than maybe parts of uh, Illinois. It's just based on that there's what you call locations or certainly where hail is more predominant. What is the 2020 rule for crop insurance? That has to do with uh, prevent plant and replant. So you, you take your federal crop insurance policy and uh, we go out and plant our soybeans. We have a big rain and we have uh, some acres that drowned out, right? They need replanted. And it's still you know, early in the year where it, it pays to replant. Well, this states that you have to have 20 acres or 20% of that unit in order to qualify for a replant, meaning it's like a deductible on your car insurance, that, that we're not going to just pay you for one acre. It's not worth the, the hassle. Okay. And then also it applies to what's called prevent plants. The example is in the event that we get so much moisture and stay so wet that we go beyond the uh, last plant date. And now it doesn't look feasible to go out and plant uh, corn in June, right? You will get paid 55% of your revenue guarantee and not to plant because you cannot plant anything in a timely fashion so and that 2020 rule applies to that so it's basically applied to prevent plant and replant can you talk about revenue protection versus yield protection yes and uh that is quite simple yield protection or the yp all, all we're insuring is yield it has nothing to do with price so an individual producer let's say he has 200 bushel guarantee and he can take whatever percent he wants from 50 to 85 percent that would provide his guarantee right yep and then this year the spring price for corn is 591 so if in fact he had guaranteed 160 bushel and he only grew 150 he would get paid 10 bushel times that spring price of 591 and it doesn't make a better difference what the price would be in the fall so he has just yield protection, no revenue or price protection. It, when you get to the RP, it functions the same as far as your yield and dropping below. But in the event that the price was a dollar higher in the fall, so say we're at six ninety one this fall instead of five ninety one, now it takes more bushels to achieve that guarantee, right? Yep. So therefore, let's say that you wanted to forward price your 160 bushel that were guaranteed and you only grew your 150, your 10, 10 short, you get paid the same. But in the event the price is higher and you forward priced it and you didn't grow that many bushel, you would have to make up that difference at the elevator. So the RP gives you the higher fall price. What's the difference between enhanced coverage options and supplemental coverage options? 
they basically operate the same. They're both area-based, meaning they're based off county yield and price. The SCO, you can get up, it takes you up to 86%. So if you were taking an 85% policy, you'd only gain 1%. If you were taking a 75% policy, it would give you an additional 11% coverage. SEO was created initially for, like, say, people in the Dakotas where they have uh, low yields and the premium costs are to the point of being unaffordable for an 85%. That they could supplement their coverage by taking a 75% and add the SCO, and that normally is at a cheaper rate than if they took 85 on their own because of their poor 10-year average. So it does take you up to the 86% level. Well, now we go to the enhanced coverage option is what, I mean, basically that's what it is, enhanced. That will take you from 86 up to 95 if you if you choose that. You can do 86 to 90 or 86 to 95. It's your choice. And what you're trying to do is cover the upper end of your production, right? Uh-huh. But both are based on area, meaning county. Okay. So you, we have to wait till the count all the uh, National Agricultural Statistics Service provides the yields for each county, and that doesn't happen until spring, and then they determine if there's a loss. So with the SEO and ECO, you wouldn't be getting a payment until the next uh, June time frame, maybe July. What is the difference between enterprise units and optional units? <clears throat> so. Let's say we'll just be talking corn, and uh, you have corn in five different sections, okay? You can add those five sections, put them all together in one unit, and that's called an enterprise unit. And if you do that, the premium will be cheaper than an optional unit. Each one of those uh, fields in those five different sections stand by themselves with an optional unit. So the theory is you could uh, have wind, uh, say your farming, your farm is spread out 15 miles apart, right? The southernmost farm could have had terrible wind damage, could have had hail, could have had rootworm, something that would cause a production loss. You would collect an indemnity payment on that one unit because of you had them all separated out. Okay. If you if you add all those five units together, the other four units might have had enough good yield that you would not collect it on the that one individual unit where we had a problem. The benefit by enterprising is that it uh, significantly lowers your premium because there's a lesser chance of you collecting because of say hail or wind or whatever, and also. Over the years, I mean, uh, so we have all this policing, you might say, that every year a certain percent of our clients gets a random audit and here has to come an auditor or adjuster out and go through to make sure you can prove all the yields that you turned in, right? Yeah. And go through that. That's to try to keep everyone honest. Well, what has occurred to some producers over the years that, out of these five units of corn, they had one unit that yielded terribly and the other were record yields. Well, guess what they did? They took production from the away from the one unit so they could get a claim and added it to their others. Well, you, you, can't, do, you can't do that if you have enterprise units because it doesn't make any difference, right? Yep. 
So that's another reason for lower premium cost. Does a farmer have to have crop insurance to qualify for government programs? Normally that's the case that's stated, but in the past, every time there would be a national disaster and the government is paying out disaster payments, then they require the producer to buy crop insurance for the next two or three years. That's always been the case, but I'm not sure if that's ever been enforced, but all I can tell you is usually I'm aware of the fact that big disaster in in, in the county, and here's the state of Iowa, the government declares uh, your county a disaster area, and then farmers get paid based on acres they farm and whatever. But if you didn't have crop insurance, you don't qualify except for now you sign a paper. I agree to take crop insurance for three years and I get my payment. So when do farmers need to be enrolled to cover their 2023 crops? Yep, the deadline is always March 15th. Okay. So where does a person start with crop insurance if they're interested in getting insured such as we have someone listening, do they contact you and then go through certain steps? How does that work? Basically, all they do is uh, contact, you know, a crop insurance agent and, uh, you know, just say, hey, I'm interested in insurance. If they've never taken insurance before, they would be considered a new producer and that they could get 100% of county tea yields. Um, because, you know, <clears throat> you have to have production history, like, like we have, we use 10 years of actual production history to d- determine what you're going to be covered on your farm. Okay. So a new, new producer comes in, every county has what's called a county tea yield, and you would use that county tea yield times whatever percent they chose to take, and then that lasts for four years, so... We have four years of county tea yields times the percent they take. Well, then 2023, they grew a crop. So we get rid of one of those tea yields and then add their actual production to their database. So in the four-year period, now that producer can get insurance based on his actual yields. And then if it's a, and that can apply for a producer that's in a different county, if he's not farmed in that county. Young farmers, if they've not farmed before, you can get, uh, we apply for what's called beginning farmer status, beginning farmer or rancher, and uh, then they do initially get a 10% discount on their premium. So depending on the situation, there are extra steps to follow through with uh, someone buying crop insurance for the first time. So you guys set the rates here a week ago, I believe. Um, Do you have any input on the rates that were set this year? Well, as far as the spring price, it's five ninety one on corn. Last year it was five ninety. This year on the soybeans, it's thirteen seventy six. The spring price last year it was fourteen thirty three. And then the volatility factor this year is greatly reduced from a year ago. So. Both corn and soybean premiums are, it depends on, once again, the state, the county, the crop, and the producer. But, uh, you know, somewhere in, on corn in that 5 to uh, $9 per acre, less premium cost than a year ago. But last year, we had exceedingly high volatility. Volatility factor, well, that was naturally based on the Russian-Ukraine war starting up. So that added to the... Uh, volatility factor, which added to 
our premium costs. So. For a more complete version of the Comstock Report with hedging strategies and trade recommendations, subscribe on our website at Comstock.com or reach out to one of our risk management specialists about how we can help you protect your profits. Futures trading involves risk. The risk of loss in trading futures and or options is substantial, and each investor and or trader must consider whether this is a suitable investment. Past performance is not indicative of future results.